0: Today, we continue our conversation with Savamya Gopalan and Ramya Gopalan, the first software twins to be featured on this podcast. In the first part, they shared their origin story and also their experiences of working in cutting-edge technologies. In this episode, we cover some technical aspects as well as some softer aspects. We paused the last episode with a question on how they paid forward to nurture young professionals. So in this episode, Samya and Ramya continue to share how one might feel hesitant to approach colleagues or seniors, particularly when starting on a career the importance of nurturing the quality of giving space to others, particularly to the junior members in the team. And while taking leadership roles, being open to solutions and valuing inputs from all and about sharing the task to be done equally, among the team members. They mentioned many points about their experience of being women in technology, the two leading-edge technologies. We then touch upon a little bit on their thoughts on the metaverse and spaces which are removed from reality and the need for better regulation and ethics. The importance of data in machine learning and how to address situations where there may not be sufficient data is something that they share from their experience. We also look at using non-verbal cues while processing video to infer some intelligence. Same thing with audio signals, including probably some ridiculous ideas that I asked them about. We conclude with their career advice for persons starting in IT and also their approach to balancing work and life, which they call as the work-life harmony. Listen on.
1: Yeah, I had, after listening to the two of you, and uh, since you all said that you've had now many years of experience, what is it that you all do to, you know, mentor younger people that are coming into the workforce? How do you, uh, you y'all have had this unique experience, you know, what it's like to have uh, somebody uh, that you can always fall back on unconditionally, that can help you navigate through those tough spots or uh, help you get unstuck. Or just have somebody to, you know, air your thoughts with. First first question is, uh, how do you nurture that with uh, younger folks that are coming into the work, workforce? And uh, is there something that you all have discovered that works, that has worked for you all in terms of uh, nurturing or mentoring uh, people around you?
2: Sure. I think when you're just fresh out of school, you have a tendency to look at your colleagues, your senior colleagues and your managers as, you know, somebody you can't approach and you have to treat with respect, but then I think once you, which you still have to, but then they're also your peers. So always, uh, yeah, I think shift shifting the mentality to, you know, up, I mean, do, feel free to ask questions because at least me, when I joined, I was pretty shy and, you know, I, I always, you know, manager was always a one way, I always thought it was a one way communication Uh, you know, kind of set up, but it's actually two ways. So you can also, you know, ask for things, you know, voice your thoughts and yeah, make it more friendly and make it more, yeah, it's it's not a school environment. And I think in terms of uh, mentoring new people, so what I have generally uh, admired in my uh, seniors is when they have this attitude of, it doesn't matter uh, how how many years of experience you have, I will still listen to you and I will still, Uh, respect you for what you bring to the table I think I've definitely worked with many people who are like that and I hope to be that way to people who are junior to me so I think once you start growing and experience you start probably assuming and I think that's probably very uh, human that you know uh, probably more experienced but that does not mean that you should take take for granted the suggestions that come from uh, from people who are slightly junior to you. And I've noticed that that attitude in some of my seniors and I've respected that. And I've uh, tried to do the same where I don't, uh, I, I listen to everybody equally. And that's something that, I don't know, at least to me, it doesn't come very easily to everybody. So you have to train yourself to actually uh, be that way. And that's something that I've looked up to. And in terms of mentoring, I make sure I don't, seem uh, un- not approachable to anybody and the kind of teams that and you- I guess too fixed in the way you want things executed or implemented because I think if yeah I think there are many ways to get a to solve a problem and I guess being open to you know a, whoever uh, has a solution whatever solution it is and just being open to different solutions and being not being closed about uh yeah how it should be how it should be done um, i guess yeah I and also just value everybody's inputs and also not take so for me what i have also respected in people is not take any task as too big or too small and so it doesn't matter if you're 15 years experience or you're 2 years experience if there's something that is a task that you think at least i i try and not have not try and divide tasks just based on how easy or complex it is i i would like it to be equally divided uh, across uh, at least that's my view. That's probably not the most business friendly view, but I think uh, uh that's something that I have respected when I was a junior and seniors, and I, I probably want to do the same. However old I become, I think that's something that I would want to do. But in terms of mentorship, I think as I, I think it's more, yeah, not less technical and more about soft skills. That's how I, I generally prefer to, you know, when I talk to juniors, that's how I yeah, it's uh, the technical part, of course, you can you can manage, but then in it's... fact, some of the juniors come with better technical expertise because technology is advancing and, and they probably did did something in the gra- in their graduate school that's more relevant to today. And so they're probably better at it. But yeah, in terms of mentorship, that's something that I, I try to uh, imbibe in my day to day working, uh, but I don't do it explicitly in terms of explicit mentoring. I think I've had a couple of opportunities. I don't think I actively participate in anything explicit. I think Ramya has probably in in a couple at Amazon, but yeah, it's more on a day-to-day how I interact with my uh, juniors and colleagues.
1: Nice, thank you both of you.
3: Um, I have to ask this question you both are uh, women in tech right and uh, i'm sure uh, me and me and uh, chitra are part of the women in tech conferences enablement or mentoring i mean lots of you know work that we do so uh, i wanted to understand being a woman who have um, who who always wanted to be engineers and are doing it what what are a few stories or any areas that you have found it is there, has there, has that been a uh, you know amplifier or an accelerator, or it was it has been neutral
2: to be women in in your experience? What has been your take on it? So Soumya and I have had different experiences. We both joined Amazon at the same time, but I joined the audio signal processing team, and she joined the computer vision team. And the computer vision team actually had a lot of girls at that time. In fact, more than the number. Yeah, of at girls. that point there were more yeah women than than men. So yeah. I was kind of a bit envious but there, my manager was woman uh, but I've, I've noticed I mean I, of course now it's kind of come down as you uh, I'm noticing that the number of like the ratio is kind of skewed but uh, I enjoy when there are more you know women in the team because then it's I don't know it's just it's a yeah again something that I realized after I moved from Amazon to Apple because at Amazon I, I was surrounded by many female colleagues and i took it again for granted that uh, it's it's easier to bring up idea, ideas and i i felt it was very natural for me to uh, brainstorm and discuss when i was in a room where there was a good representation of uh, of women uh, i took it again for granted and then i realized after i joined apple where the ratio was, actually when i joined there was um, just me uh, in my team who was who was a woman and now we have we have like five i think uh, our, our, our team crew and we have a good representation of women. I realized how important it is to have somebody uh, of your gender to, to just, I think it's a very, uh, it's hard to explain because you, you do bond equally well with your male colleagues. It's not that you don't bond well with your male colleagues, but there is this added uh, comfort, which it's hard to explain why you feel more comfortable, but that 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 representation is is important and uh, people often look at it, look at it as just numbers but the more th- uh, female colleagues you have the more diversity in personalities of so just because you have a number doesn't mean you're going to bond with everybody equally just like how you don't bond with every male equally so i think the more you will have somebody you can you can relate to and again i took it for granted because i had I would say a very good friend and mentor when I joined Amazon, who was a female that I, I noticed was probably very key to my development in my early years. So I think it's invaluable having ha- joining a team where there is good representation of uh, women and men, I think is invaluable. And uh, it might seem to maybe somebody who who has a good rapport with a- any anybody. It's not in value. It's not as valuable as one might make it to be. But I have noticed in my personal experience that it's a huge factor. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy at least when it comes to hiring, companies are being very mindful of uh, improving the the ratio and diversity.
1: Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for bringing that up, Gayatri. I think that was uh, something I had in mind as well. Shiv, anything that you'd like to interject with at this point?
0: Not about this topic, but then there are a few other you know, more of curiosity questions, I would say, since uh, Metaverse came up. Now, this is more of a you know, point of view, no need for any homework. Uh, see, my concern, I would say, which also is something that I asked one of my recent guests, who has already been a serial entrepreneur in the Metaverse space, You know, two companies he sold and is a third company and all that. The impact on the environment. When you talk about blockchain and others, you say that the compute sources that you need and uh, what it is going to cost. And whether we are moving further and further away from reality, which is when you say vision and audio and all that, that is real for me. Whereas these are all simulated environments and uh, building something on top of something else, which is already kind of meta, right? So what are your thoughts on that as to where are we headed?
2: I think it can it depends on the application. Like even virtual re- reality, I think I think now nowadays they even use it to train surgeons. And um, I guess, yeah, it depends on the 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 final end use of the technology. Probably gaming and those sort of applications. I'm not sure if I'm entirely sold on. But yeah, I mean, if it's put to good use, I think there is the technology as, as such is is can be used in different ways. And uh, and in terms of how it impacts, uh, like even for instance, vision uh, in our, in our company, we, we, I mean, we, we use a lot of machines and GPUs just to train a model. And I mean, there are, there is work in literature on how training, let's say a language model, uh, how much compute that uses and how much that can, uh, how much CO2 or how much emission that can emit. So you would think because we work on vision and audio, which seems like applications that people need, there is a lot of uh, impact to the climate that can happen even with things like this. So I think people are cognizant that we have to do, we have to be aware of the impact to climate and society. Uh, I don't know if it is regulated as much as it needs to be. I think in terms of regulation of technology, I don't think we are close to anywhere where we need to be. So, I mean, especially uh, with the later Facebook controversies, there have been some hearings, but it's not moving at a pace that we need to be moving at. So I would say we need to be more regulated in the technology space in terms of what's really needed for us and uh, what's not. And now you have a whole new field for ethical AI. So yeah, I think that has to gain more prominence and yeah, like, yeah, we need more regulation actually which we don't have right now because we are mostly profit-driven and people who are making these decisions are finally getting their salaries from from companies. So I think we need an outside governance for for all these uh,
0: needs. Yeah, Related to that, a couple of more questions. All this uh, training that you talked about, now I'm moving to data that you use for training. One is, of course, people talk about weaponizing data so that you intentionally kind of poison the learning. But then there is another aspect, which is, what do you do when there is not enough data? Because already you find a lot of tussle between, let's say, the data scientists and the people are developing the algorithms as to how much data they can share. Because all of them want data. And then for testing, if I say I need data, they'll say that, no, 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 I want to train. I can't give you this data. I can't use the same data for testing. But then when we do our natural way of thinking or uh, deriving decisions we make a lot of assumptions and approximations and probably projections when there is no data so yes. in both audio as well as visual or video processing how much does it impact when you don't have data or when de- some data is kind of probably missing
2: yeah i think um, data is definitely gold for for any kind of machine learning uh... Uh, engineer or scientist there are unsupervised and semi-supervised techniques where you try and see how you can leverage less data and uh, do more of a, a, a transfer learning or some, uh, like you me- you were mentioning assuming things about how uh, the model should be putting some constraints and I think that's something that is actively explored because even for instance in Apple there's this uh, I work with this data team and so their whole, Job is to get data, and I mean the number of data sets we have is incredible. But even then, it's many times not sufficient for uh, our applications. So there are new efforts where you try and learn data, obfuscate it, but still in a population sense get some meaning out of it. There is private ways of getting data, uh, not revealing anything about the user, but also helping your machine learning model. So there are techniques that People are exploring where they can try and see how to make use of less explicitly submitted data. But yeah, data is gold. Also, I think now there are techniques to synthesize data. So in audio, there is you can actually synthesize speech data or even in health, you can actually synthesize some of your biometrics. So there's also effort to kind of use those ways to you know get around your data problem. But yeah, definitely, data is gold. And uh, but there is, I think, a lot of active work and research that's happening for this.
0: So on data, one on the visual side, is there anything to understand? Let's say what we call as the non-verbal cues. Am I doing something? But my posture sometimes may mm-hmm. indicate that I'm totally disinterested, or maybe I'm aggressive. Maybe I'm you know, something else.
2: So there is sentiment analysis. So facial expressions. And uh, posture, like you were saying, you can or even gait. so based on how you move, it's mostly used for iding purposes. So if I want to ID a person, gait and posture and and all that is very uh, indicative of of the person. so uh, but yeah, there are those cues which uh, make you understand, so even like gaze, right now I, I, those are nonverbal cues, so I'm, even gaze tracking is something that's, yeah, it's well studied in computer vision, but how you apply it is also, you can use it for maybe detecting autism or something in the autism spectrum, but you can also use it for tracking what you're browsing. So yeah, there are non-verbal cues and depending on the application, you can put it to good use or you can put it to uh, mal-use, misuse.
0: Yeah, similarly, on the audio side, I mean, even though you're not working on it now, I see, sometime back, I was a little surprised when uh, you know, the washing machine said that for diagnostics, all I have to do is press a button, hold the phone, and then there is a, a beep or a you know, series of beeps, you know, which will be mm-hmm. interpreted by the other end. So how far are we from, let's say, Alexa, Siri, Cortana, Google Assistant, whoever, just listens to all the devices that we have around us and tell us that, hey, your fan needs maintenance or you no know, something else needs to be done. <laughs> because today... <laughs> what I see is more about filtering out all those noises. They're doing a pretty good job, but then instead of ignoring, is there something meaning that they can read into it and then help, uh, you know, the users?
2: I I mean, I think you're already there. I think it's just about, I don't think it will fly too well with the customers. If we say we are going to listen to your room fan and tell you that it needs (laughs) (laughs) repair. But um, I think the technology is there. Like, uh, I mean, if, it's yeah again throw data and learn your models but uh, yeah in terms of you know listening to sounds and uh, you know extracting information intelligence uh, information from it is we are we are there already and yeah I think I think every day I just I guess read last month uh, now Alexa can even impersonate somebody's voice so it's mm-hmm. I think the technology is there it's just a matter of throwing in, in engineers and and also yeah, many times many times features are culled because it's not something that's uh, desirable uh, there's this whole uh, product management chain that says no this is not going to sell and so yeah fan noise i mean i think that was just one example but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i mean we have like we have sound classification we have yeah we have
0: now, i know in uh, factories it exists already in, in a very limited environment and a controlled kind of situation you know, trying to detect, particularly, we're you not know, looking at uh, mechanical uh, fabrications, any fractures that may be there in the metals. You know, you can do non-destructive testing, and you can test them you know, much before you know, they get into larger assemblies, and then you know, possibly create problems later.
2: No, I, I think yeah. Now the, there's also a huge push for multimodal processing, so it's not just relying on audio or vision, but then combine sensory inputs. Right. And- I read this recently for elderly care
3: and based on their sentiment and how they how they have been behaving along with their uh, you know medical intake and everything there is a possibility to uh, help of course uh, as you rightly would write it's it's not it's one is from a how easy is it to market and how big is your target market the second is also the ethics and is it possible to uh, you know make make it used correctly I heard that uh, the device that is used to track uh, anything, right? It is also being used to, uh, you know, uh, used by paparazzi to find out where where each of your, uh, you know, (laughs) celebrity is and things like that. So any device, anything that comes to it, can be used in every possible way that uh, human intuition can take you.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a struggle because the data doesn't have any meaning unless you apply context, and most of the time context should have some PII at least. And if it has to be useful for an individual, otherwise you get classes of solutions. Yeah, somewhere, I guess we will find a, a balance.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think PII, yeah, you don't get too much PII data and even how it's handled within these companies they're they're very strict about how you handle PII data. Yeah, they take it very seriously. Yeah, they take it yeah,
0: very seriously. Yeah, So with all this, with so many things happening, what would be your career advice? We normally have this question uh, in uh, most of our uh, episodes, uh, both for you know, people who are considering a career now. Does it make sense to even get into, let's say, the deep R&D kind of areas, or stay more on the application side? Yeah. Similarly, in okay. you know, the people who've been uh, the so-called you know, mid-career, who want to know, I've done these things now. What should I do?
2: To get so in terms of how you should approach your career if you're starting off. And this is something that we got, uh, at least both of us got advice, uh, even when we started off was to be, uh, keep your ears and eyes open and be open to any any area. Don't restrict yourself. So even though you're working in one, let's say R&D, don't shut yourself off to uh, uh, software. Don't, uh, um, don't shut yourself off to uh, the applications domain don't shut yourself off to the business domain i think um, being interested in all these domains will definitely help you even though you're specializing in one area and you never know what will interest you so don't decide early on what is going to be your interest and it can change it will change with time so even now uh, as i'm going through uh, i think right now 12 years of experience i can have my my interests can change so being able to learn everything or being interested to learn everything, I think is, is crucial, whether you're starting your career or whether you're uh, 10 years or 15 years, which is what I am now. I think uh, it's something that we we heard uh, when we started off. And I think that's, I still think that's very applicable uh, now where don't shut yourself off to anything uh, and just see what you, you like doing. And also I think one thing that I struggled with when I was young, uh, younger was or even now sometimes I struggle with this you can get intimidated when you're working with professionals who are more senior but don't let that phase you do your own learning do your own ideating don't get phased by people who know more uh, because that can happen when you're working in a professional setup where you need to deliver So I think that's something that I've kept in mind but yeah I think not shutting yourself off at any point uh, in your career to any Any opportunity or interest area is uh, crucial, according to me. Yeah, I think the same, just being flexible and open to to different kinds of work and not being very fixed on what you want to do. And yeah, your likes and dislikes can change over time. Um, And sometimes even not knowing what you don't want to do can help you uh, choose something that probably you will start liking. So yeah, and just be open. And uh, in Amazon, we have something called, we have a principle called learn and be curious. And I guess that's something that you should continue to be however senior you go. And I mean, if it is, you know, it may be like 10 years down the line, I might just pick up a 101 course on something and learn and might realize, oh, I, I enjoy doing this. And it can, your interest can change over time and not being too fixed on what you want to do is is helpful. Also, the other thing is I think you don't have to go according to what's considered the growth trajectory. If you, if you think progress is going up the management chain, I think that's slightly misplaced. Always, And I think companies right now offer different ways to grow. You don't have to assume that the only way to grow is to become a manager, because if you want to become a people manager, you have to make sure you are invested in who, you are, who your reports are. And I think that's something which is not often told. Uh, it's assumed that the way you grow in companies is just uh, by getting into people management, but if that's not something that you like uh, or you think you enjoy doing right now, you don't have to feel uh, pressured to do make that switch. I think that's also something that that that's something somebody should keep in mind while uh, approaching. Yeah, a it's not a box that you need to tick off. It's, yeah. I guess your interests can change over time. Just continue learning.
0: Yeah, that's nice. That that triggers one more question when you say interests. So far, we've been talking more about work, work, work. And we say work-life balance. How do you keep that balance? What happens outside work?
2: We work less. (laughs) No, just joking. No, I think at least I am pretty good about even. So in the pandemic, we noticed our screen time increase. So we would, I mean, at least before that, we would like take half an hour to commute and then you know walk to your walk up to your desk and then sign in. So there's probably like six seven hours of screen time, but then with the pandemic, it increased. But I think I was pretty good at you know starting work at nine and closing my laptop at uh, six by six, I, I think, yeah, I, but I, it's a choice you have to make. Yeah. So if, if you, if you, I mean, many of my colleagues are probably all the time on and are working, I mean, connected to work. So uh, both of us decided to just disconnect from work uh, at six, six 30, because that's on, we, we realized we are people who don't we can't just take in uh, emails and not get triggered by them or even like Slack messages. So for us, Actually disconnecting helps, like so having a hard disconnect. so not having email on phones or slack on phones or also setting boundaries. so even with your colleagues, if you if you set expectations I, I am I'm online between nine and six, and beyond that, only if it's urgent you 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 should be able to reach me at this number. and you think you are you are more important than you are, but you're not as important as you think you are. so I think uh, yeah. I think that's something that both of us found it easy to do, where we just disconnected after uh, six, so we were able to maintain a balance. Of course, it's called work-life harmony. In Amazon. Yeah, we call it harmony. So it's <laughs> you are giving all of us like to
3: say, how do you can disconnect and how do you hold? But I still haven't heard what do you do after work. You I I heard you say you um, like to uh, you know be fit, you stay fit, you um, you must be playing something. What keeps your interest?
2: So mornings, we are the usually the most active. So we spend a good two hours before work doing our, like, whatever workouts or if. So we generally cook for the whole week. So cooking is taken care of usually. Uh, evenings, we usually, we have, yeah, we watch a lot of Food Network. <laughs> no, and, but, uh, I mean, I, and over the pandemic, I've started, like, you know, sketching daily. So that's something that I picked up. Um, I think Soumya started reading more. Uh, but- yeah, I think uh, we realized that we need, needed something uh, out. So when we were, I guess, commuting to work, the whole the whole business of commuting, coming back and like keeping things back, making your dinner and eating it. And then so we, we didn't really have any uh, intentionally uh, dedicated time to do something else. But because of the pandemic, we don't have to commute. I think Ramya sketches daily. I try and read something daily. Um, we like we, we enjoy cooking food so that's something that again we we do regularly we try out new uh, recipes yeah i think i think that's some something that we have we like hiking so we can but there, there's, a, there's a sharp decline in our energy after 8 p.m like <laughs> we yeah. go to bed pretty early so that's why we said we're old we are we are uh <laughs> You probably can't catch us uh, awake after nine o'clock.
1: Uh-huh. I, I think this was a this was a fabulous uh, conversation and a great yeah. way to mark the you know the occasion of the two hundredth so, episode.
0: So two I have 20. one question related to that. Since you said you also listened to a few of the episodes, now what would you like us to do? You know, more, do less, do different, or do we need to do this at all?
2: <laughs> In fact, I we we enjoy listening to podcasts, so and Indeed. and i mean even this episode we enjoyed because i think uh, we like the f- the fact that you ask questions to the the person who you're interviewing or and it's like it's the very... just the diversity in who you talk to is also nice yeah, to see I think we and have probably any... not just limited to software maybe lim- you know extended to other other fields just everybody's uh, career i mean it doesn't have to be just software i mean <laughs> it's... but yeah we we enjoy this this the, the way you conduct the podcast so we don't have any <laughs> i guess valuable inputs to make here
0: thanks thank you yeah thanks once again uh, ramyan sharmia and all the best
2: thank you thanks for having us we yeah I know we, we didn't realize we had so so much to say but i think it's because of the way you <laughs> asked these questions it uh, we, it prompted us to talk more so thank you for uh, for that <laughs>